Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Uh, If you are not familiar with the, the Christian calendar, this is a time where we remember Jesus's, what we call the triumphant entry into Jerusalem uh, before the crucifixion and the week before Easter. Again, this calendar has been established and has been going on for years, and it is a way that we kind of mark and remember things that are part of our tradition. It is going to go alongside with what we've been talking about, this series on revolution, how with the cross has become this revolution that God has started. And so far, we've looked and saw how iconic the cross is how it is probably the most iconic symbol that is there in the world, how people recognize it and utilize it in everything from tattoos to churches to jewelry. It is a part of life in so many ways across this world. And yet it's one that's interesting because the cross was a symbol of defeat and it was a symbol of utter shame. And we talked about that the first week and that this is where God started his revolution. He started it really at the lowest place you could, at a place that was intended for criminals, as a place that was intended for people who were being punished and scorned. That's where God began this revolution. And as he starts at the lowest point, he starts to reach out to everybody, that Christ's victory began through suffering, that the church was born through suffering, that the church has grown through suffering, that love is demonstrated in suffering. And this is all part of the cross. And then we talked about how we have to be open to what this means, that theology was made for the church, that the church was not made for theology, and that we have to be willing to, to look at this and understand clearly a biblical perspective, not just one that's handed down to us that we start to re, you know, just kind of parrot out. We just repeat what these things, Jesus died for our sins, but we don't really embrace what that all means or how that shows up in our lives. And we question the intention of the cross, how it wasn't just to punish Jesus so that God wouldn't be mad at us so that we could go to heaven, but it was to address the real problem One where we were living in a way that was autonomous, that we are living in a way that is separate from God. That has been the problem throughout the pages of Scripture. It's something we see in the garden and we see it up till the time of the cross. And that today 
is the day of salvation isn't about the day where I say a prayer and I get to go to heaven. Today is the day of salvation is the day where I claim and reconnect to my identity as a human, as a person who was created in God's image to live with that intention. And this is where the revolution begins, is with us claiming the day of salvation as our day to begin to live as we were intended to live. And the cross is all pointing to these things. And we want to acknowledge those things as we move forward with this revolution. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about graduation ceremonies, hiking Mount Whitney, steps one and two of AA, and Bruce Willis and the movie Unbreakable. Graduation. You guys have all been to graduation ceremonies. I was at one once and I participated in it. I was in the third grade. No, um, I, I've gone to a number of celebrations where you are moving into this new phase of someone's life, right? Whether it be from high school, you've graduated high school and now you're going to go to college maybe, or you're at least got that part of your life done. I was recently at my daughter's graduation from nursing school. She had like three of them. There was like constant graduation, graduation, graduation. And it was fun to go because we were celebrating the fact that she did it. She accomplished this and she's moving on into this new phase of her life. And that's what we come across in Matthew chapter 21. And so if you have your copy of the scriptures, open it up to Matthew chapter 21. I am utilizing the NIV translation for those who are following with an app and want the right translation. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11, we'll start. And they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, Hosanna means save now. So have an understanding of what they are shouting out. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. A procession is something that everyone was aware of, especially in Rome. When Rome would return from a conquest, from fighting a battle, from conquering another region... They would have a procession where they would come into the capital. And very similar, there would be this lining of the streets. There would be the shouting of victory to Rome and hailing Caesar because of what he had done. 
But it wouldn't be on a donkey, it would be on a horse. It would be riding in this victorious march. And so this is a very strange procession where they're shouting, save now. They're wanting to make this a a victory march, but it's on a donkey, not a horse. A donkey is a humble animal, whereas a horse is more of a, a mighty steed, right? It's got that idea of conquering. It has that idea of power. You don't get the same idea with a donkey. And Jesus's words that he had taught back on that Mount of Olives when he said, the meek shall inherit the earth, he's going to put to the test. Instead of the powerful will inherit the earth, here comes your king riding on a humble animal. Here comes your king into a different type of victory. Here comes your king who is meek and mild. And we will see if the meek really do inherit the earth. Or is that just something nice to talk about? It sounds lovely. It sounds poetic. But is it true? Does life work that way? Because I don't know about you, but it seems like everything we see points in the other direction. It is the powerful who inherit the earth. It is those who control the money. It is those who control the military. It is those who control the wealth that seem to get more. So what is Jesus talking about? Is it really the meek who are going to inherit the earth? And so now he moves in verse 12 into the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, And the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. When I was out of high school a few years back, I went on a trip with my second cousin and my brother and a friend of ours to hike and climb Mount Whitney. And I forget how high Mount Whitney is. It's like a million miles. Um, I can't switch it. So, And it was a two-day, well, actually a three-day trip. The first day we hiked up to this one area plateau where we set camp. The next day we were going to go past all these switchbacks to the top of Mount Whitney. And then the third day, we were trying to get all the way back. Actually, it was four days because we went back to camp. We stayed there two nights because I remembered these animals got into our tent that other night. And the second night that we camped out there, we, we stayed at this plateau and it was just beautiful. And there was like nobody there at that time. It was just us in our tent. The first night when we came to the base, it had been raining and cloudy, and so it was very overcast. And when we got and set up 
our tent, it was still a little bit overcast. But then during the middle of the night, I had to get up and go to the restroom. And as I walked outside the tent, all the cloud cover had vanished. And there was just literally a blanket of stars. Where I walked outside, I looked up and it overwhelmed me. It was so bright. I was like, oh man, I never knew that existed, at least not in LA, right? You look up, yeah, there's one, there's one. There, it was like just covered with stars. It was humbling. It was terrifying. It was this event that really brought my heart to a place of worship and thinking, oh my gosh, this is magnificent. This is beyond what I had ever thought the heavens were like. And we have to understand that to the people of Israel, the temple was that kind of a place to them. And Second Chronicles chapter 5, there is an account where they are dedicating the temple that Solomon built. And it says that the glory of the Lord filled the place so much so that the priests were overwhelmed, that they could not speak. And that's how I felt there. I couldn't say anything. I just had to gasp because it was so magnificent. And now Jesus is coming to their holy place. He's turning over tables. He's kicking people out. He's bringing people who are sick. There are children running around laughing and playing. Do you guys know what it's like having kids running around laughing and playing? Right? You can't ignore it. It's loud. It's obnoxious. It just carries on. Right? And they're running around. I can just see him screaming, Hosanna, son of David, tag your it, you know, and running over here and whatever's going on, they're just carrying on. And what seems like noise, Jesus says, they get it. That's what it's like. It's an abandon. It's a carefree. It's a rejoicing. They had more fun that day in the temple than probably anyone had ever had in the temple before them. I wonder that about church, right? You see the kids running here afterwards when we're cleaning up and they're sitting on the cart and they're pushing them. They're having so much fun. They're enjoying this. They're celebrating. They're worshiping. And Jesus comes in and disrupts everything that they knew. And this is huge. This is overturning more than just tables. This is overturning what they considered sacred. It would be like someone running for office of president and saying, we need to do away with the Constitution and get rid of the American flag, right? How's that going to fly, right? Everyone's going to be, what? You know, it's going to be like, you know, people are going to be getting there. Well, let's not go there. Anyway, this is not received well. This is upsetting. This is to them something that is, in a sense, blasphemous. Look at what they're doing. You need to get them to stop. And Jesus is saying, no, this is really what's supposed to be happening. Last night, when we were at the Connect, I was talking to Dr. Quinlan And I don't remember if I was talking to him during our time of discussion or afterwards, but we started talking about how 
the first step in AA recovery is where we admit that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And it's that way with other recovery groups, whether it's NA or AA. There, there has to be this recognition that my life is unmanageable. In other words, I cannot manage me. That I need help outside of myself. There needs to be a recognition that deliverance, this is the second point, hope, in other words, has to be found in a power outside or greater than yourself. There has to be more than you that fixes you. And it doesn't, they don't push it has to be, you know, Jesus, or it has to be this faith. I was talking to someone who is in A and goes, it doesn't matter what your higher power is. It can be the shower head in your shower, but you need to acknowledge that something is above you and you need help from somewhere to get past where you are. You got into this mess. You're not going to get yourself out of it. You need help. And it is this kind of recognition. And one of the things that's central in the gospel and through the books of Acts is the reclaiming or the recovery of the temple. It's something that I don't think we pay as much attention to because it wasn't as prominent to us as it was to those at that time or what the temple represented. But we see that throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts. Jesus said in John chapter 2 that if they would destroy this temple, and he was referring to his body, that he would raise it up in three days, and that started a whole commotion. There is a, a correlation between the temple where God dwelt in the Hebrew minds and the body of Christ that is going to the cross. And then there is the speaking of at the crucifixion where the veil is torn from the top to the bottom, and the veil is the place that separated the holiest place where only the high priest could go in once a year. And now that is open. And, and what I believe is happening is not so much that God is saying, okay, now you can come in, is God is saying, okay, now I am out. And we start to see that take place. In the book of Acts, we see that Stephen, the first martyr, is charged because of his saying that God does not dwell in temples made with hands quoting their scriptures and saying, God is doing something different. This temple that you worshiped in is now changed. And it's not the tabernacle you thought it was. There is a new tabernacle that is taking place. And he was killed because of this. Paul clashes all throughout the book of Acts in Acts chapter 14 with the temple of the Athens and in Ephesus in chapter 17 and 19 with the temple in Jerusalem itself in chapter 21, there is constant temple worship that is being confronted and is being dealt with throughout the book of Acts. And you see, the first step in God's recovery is restoration of worship, the true temple, Jesus himself and his spirit-filled people that now hold the presence of God, that help the world see that this is really the new world. This is the kingdom of God himself.
And just like in Second Chronicles, where the Spirit of God filled the temple and the priests were overwhelmed and they couldn't speak. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit come upon like a rushing wind where people were overwhelmed with the Spirit of God. And again, now God is unleashed and the same thing is happening, but now it's loose. Now it is taking place in all these individual people so that Paul would say, you yourself are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that all comes to the place where Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. Something more is happening here. At this crucifixion, there is a change that's taking place. There is a moving from this mindset of God dwells here to God dwells here in his people. And what happens when the presence of God is indwelling the people who bear his image? Then we see that worship starts to take place. And out of worship grows witness. Witness is a a declaration of who God is. Is that a proclamation of this is what God is all about. And we need to move into this space. This new way of living starts at the cross. It starts in sacrifice. It starts even in martyrdom of those who believed. Because they are the ones who would now carry this message in the same spirit that Jesus did to the rest of the world. In 2000, there was a Bruce Willis movie called Unbreakable. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I loved it. With Shyamalan, there he is. There's Bruce. And the concept of this movie or the precept of this movie is there's this guy. He's in a train crash, and everyone is killed except this guy. He doesn't have a scratch on him. And they're all wondering, how do you do this? What, what is, you know, your secret? How did this happen? And no one understands it. And it turns out that Bruce has these superpowers where he's actually unbreakable. And his nemesis, Samuel Jackson, is this counterpart where everything he does causes his body to break down. And so there's this kind of clash with good and evil where Bruce discovers, I'm unbreakable. And he's like bench pressing 800 pounds, right? And nothing's going on. And you're like, oh man, this would be so cool. I wonder what would happen if you didn't fear anything? What would you do if you weren't afraid of anything? If you weren't afraid of failure, what would you try? If you weren't afraid of what people said or ridiculed you, what would you be? Who would you be? What would you do? If fear did not govern our lives, what things might we step into that we're afraid to? What endeavors might we take if we weren't worried about failure, if we weren't afraid of what's out there? Because when we see the early church, what we start to see is there was this willingness to step into what was dangerous because there was an absence of fear. They can persecute and kill Jesus' followers, but the writers are quick to emphasize that even after 
they were martyred or beaten, they would rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for this cause like what Jesus did. That there was a connection to what Christ did that became meaningful to them. That he suffered, we will also, but it's with purpose. And now we can actually rejoice in something like that. It's actually helping us to see that we are a part of this building of God's kingdom and what God is doing. And he's accomplishing that now through us. Why? Because we are now the temple. We are now the dwelling place of God. We are now the representatives. What was supposed to be ours that was seen in Jesus is now ours once again because of what he's done. And now they step into this and follow him. And if Israel's Messiah conquers through death, then what's going to stop his followers? If he's victorious over death, then what do you need to be afraid of? And it shows in how they lived. And even though there was incredible persecution, there was incredible witness. There was an incredible testimony. Their worship became life-changing. It became genuine. It transformed not only them, but those who were around them. Where just as in the temple, the glory of God filled the place and people were overwhelmed. People became overwhelmed with the presence of these people and how they lived that they couldn't resist the love they saw in them. It was compelling. And they lived with purpose and with meaning. In Acts chapter 28, the very last portion of Acts, the end of Paul's journey that we have recorded, it says in verse 30 and 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance? This rented house was really house arrest. He had guards watching him. He had suffered persecution. He had been beaten a number of times. He'd been stoned, left for dead. He'd been kicked out. He had to hide. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been bitten by serpents that were supposed to kill him. And it says, without hindrance. How does this account for without hindrance? Right? How does this look? Paul suffered through all these things. And it cannot prevent him from having a boldness to talk about what he's being imprisoned for, what he's been persecuted for, what he has almost died for numerous times. It does not 
stop him. He is unbreakable. He moves forward as if this has no effect on him whatsoever. And I read this and and it convicts me to the core. And I wonder, what am I so afraid of? Or, Or maybe I need to back up and say, am I the temple of the living God? Is God's presence being revealed in me? And if so, why would I be hindered by anything? If that is the case, and maybe this is calling us to live more, to live more into line of what we've been called to, to bear the image of God that we were created for, that Jesus died so that we could receive, that the the veil was torn and God has rushed out and rushed into our lives so that we could be fearless so that we could be unbreakable, so that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. That this is where we start. Paul, from arriving in Rome and through house arrest, is announcing the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus as Lord. Peter would go on in chapter 2, 1 Peter, Verse 21 through 25, he says, To this you were called. Listen up. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. But you don't see that in your promised little bread things, right? Jesus is calling us to follow in his steps. What steps that? He suffered. Verse 22, he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might go to heaven. Is that what it says? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Live for what is right. Live for justice. You see, this was a call not to escape. This was a call to engage. By his wounds, you have been healed. Healed from what? Healed from the life that we were living. Healed from an autonomous life that was separated from God. Healed from not being able to bear the image of God. Healed from ourselves recovering because he is the one pulling us up for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls Jesus dying on the cross him going in this triumphant entry into Jerusalem wasn't to be victorious like the Roman armies that had come before him Jesus moves to a place where he suffers, leaving us an example. Not that we would no longer suffer and escape, but that our suffering would be like his and would be with the purpose and would be with direction. So much so that they were willing to accept it because they were a part of something bigger. You know, I think of sports and when people play certain sports like football or rugby or curling. No, um, 
sports that are very physical and the abuse that they put through their bodies. You ever see rodeo guys that ride those bulls like crazy, right? Those guys crazy, but they love it. And you talk to these guys, you look at these guys and this guy, man, his nose doesn't look right. Right? His nose is kind of over here. Or the hockey guys, and they're like, these teeth are gone, right? And they make all kinds of money that you don't get something to fix that? No, that's just, hey, this is who I am. You know? Why? Because they love it so much. They put themselves through these things because they love the game. They love the sport. They love what they're doing. And here are these men and women living their lives with no fear of what's happening to them because they love what they're a part of. And they entrust themselves, even as Jesus did, to the one who judges justly. And the meek wind up conquering the Roman Empire. The greatest empire that the world has known, that has spanned for the longest time that we have known, that covered so many areas, that occupied so many people, became so prevalent. And it is overcome by these people who believe that their king died, giving them an example to live as he did. So that in 300 Constantine says, okay, we're now all Christians because we can't beat them. We'll join them. And we see the meek conquering. Is that true today? Is that still true for us? Is that something that we can embrace? You see, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God is bringing us into this through Jesus and through his death on the cross. And nobody, neither Jesus' followers nor his mother nor Pontius Pilate nor the crowds that mocked were saying to themselves as Jesus' body was being crucified that, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what the scripture said. No one was saying, this is victorious. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is what a a conquering king looks like. No one had in their mind that this was taking place, but it was. And it shattered the way people see the world. And it changed how people were going to live in this world. And Jesus told his disciples, you know how people lord over you. That's not how it's going to be with you. If I am your Lord and I wash your feet, I have given you example that you would do as I do. And he turned everything upside down. So much so that they would remember him and have meals together saying, remember, he died for us. This is our example. They'd have baptisms like we're going to have saying, remember, we are dead with him so that we can be alive with him. And what were they saying? They were saying, we're unstoppable. We are the meek and God is at work and the kingdom of God is going to inherit this earth. And it doesn't matter if it's Rome. It doesn't matter what government is in charge. The kingdom of God is what is going to rule And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let's start thinking of heaven as 
where God is. And let's start thinking of earth as where we are. And let's start thinking of Jesus as where these two interlock and combine. And we get to live here now. We get to be a part of this now. And as the spirit of God filled the temple, he wants to fill our lives so that we stand in the expanse of his wonder and love and are overwhelmed that we get to be a part of what God is doing, what God has been doing since the cross and is doing today. And he's now doing it through his people who are the new temple. And that's you and me who've allowed our lives to be shaped by Jesus and what he said and how he lived and what he's done. And we've seen that as our example. And our first step to recovery is saying, I can't do this. I need help from someone higher than me. And that's exactly what Jesus is. That's exactly who he is. And that's exactly where we find ourselves this day. In a place of need with a savior who is able to help us and has given us an example to live like him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be shaken even as the temple was all those years ago. And that we would be overwhelmed time and time again with the wonder of who you are and of what you are doing and that we are invited to be a part of that. And I pray, Lord, for everyone who is here, for myself and everyone who is here, that our hearts would be open to this work, that our lives would welcome this work, that we would be able to see that we were created for this work, that we are living fully when we are living in your image, loving as you loved, caring as you cared, suffering even as you suffered that it is there that our lives are truly alive. And even as that early church revolutionized the empire of Rome, Lord, may we revolutionize our community here at Upland, the whole state and country, and the whole world. Lord, there are disciples, your temple, all over this planet. And our prayer, Lord, is that your kingdom come, your will be done here now on earth as in your very presence. You've invited us to participate, Lord. May we answer that invitation. May we live our lives in response to your amazing love. We do pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Do you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, glorify God with your lives. May he shake the temple again 
May the glory overwhelm you with his presence and may you move forward without fear that you are part of something bigger and greater than anything else in this world. God bless you guys. See you Wednesday, Good Friday, next Sunday, Easter. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.